Welcome, everybody. This is Sharon Smith, SPCVP of Sacramento Poetry Center, and this is Iambic Poetry Podcast. And I have here, my guest is not only a poet, but radio disc jockey, a fellow Stocktonian, Sacramentian, and now Nevada County, and is going somewhere else. So I'd like to give you a good, fond friend of mine, Dell Phoenix. Woo! What's going on, Dell? Thank you so much. How you doing? Doing fine. And also therapist. So it's just, there's so many things that just Lego up. That piece. <laughs> but no, um, like to appreciate Dell because um, first one thing, happy Pride Month because it is Pride Month. And also the fact that you are a fellow poet who's been here in the game for a long time, even when even been the game where I was at in Stockton. Mm-hmm. And we we may have meshed, but may have not. We've been, we know people. So we, it's been a, it was, it was kind of scared. My, it's kind of scared my girlfriend. She was like, or my partner. She was like, so y'all. I was like, not going to answer that one. Right. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure not, but I, I know we ran into each other. It was right. like, how did we not? <laughs> but anyway. I, I, I love that you came to my show because I've been on your show and did my poetry on your show. I would like to basically point out what got you started in your poetic journey. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So I have been a bookworm my entire life. I think I was reading. Well, I, I knew I, I know that I could like point out letters, but when I was three, I was reading before kindergarten. Okay. Um, but one of my favorite books in like fourth, fifth grade was The Outsiders. And there okay. was a Robert Frost poem in there. Nothing Gold Can Stay. That's not the name of it, but the Nothing Gold Can Stay poem. Yeah. And that poem caught my attention. I remember writing it down over and over again for a while and just really getting a feel for what it meant and the rhythm of it. And the very first poem that I wrote, I was like nine and it was shortly after the first time I'd gone to a funeral. And it followed the same meter okay. of that Robert Frost poem and had a very similar feel to it. Um, I didn't write anything else again until I think I was 12. And um, eighth grade, like English class, we had a poetry unit. And, you know, we, we had to write to prompts and we had to learn about different types of poems and things like that. And I walked away with my little, you know, book <laughs> of the poems that I wrote in that, but I kept going. Um, I think poetry was a very, very early form of therapy for me in a lot of ways. And um, just helped me sort out and name things that were too ambiguous otherwise in my life and helped me put words in our t- to concepts and articulate concepts that were beyond me oh, time. Okay. And um, at some point, I don't know exactly when, but at some point in my teen years, probably amidst all the teenage, teenage eggs, um, I paired some spirituality with poetry and like really kind of got into the flavor of that. And I think by the time I was 14, I was a regular of the youth group at the Lambda Center um, in Sacramento. And that's where I got my start in activism, but that's also where I started reading poems. Um, 
the Sacramento uh, Lavender Poet Laureate, Michael Gorman, was a mentor of mine at the time. And, um, you know, we sat down and had coffee and, you know, he read my poetry. I was too embarrassed at the time to even read it out loud, but he really encouraged me to do so. And so I started doing like the, you know, the little coffee shop readings and things like that. And um, to this day, I saw a lot of stage fright. It's still really hard to read in front of people. But um, I don't know. I, there's something about it, too. There's, there's a power about it. Well, speaking that you, have, speaking that you were in Sacramento at the Lavender, uh, good bookstore. People mm-hmm. should check it out and give some shout outs to the Lavender um, bookstore. Uh, you, you basically, you went to, you said, went to Carp Shop. Did you go to like Luna's? Did you hit over? Mm-hmm. I did okay. Luna's. Um, I was working at Java City at the time oh, that they right. had their... Um, their poetry little festival <laughs> um and they had regular open mics for a short period of time on 18th capital um so i did some of those and um the Lambda center had me read at one pride one year and then at a couple of other places where i did panels and oh. you know, other things so yeah. Okay, so you've been so you're doing panels too. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they, I, got, I got really involved in activism there. Um, nice. Mostly, you know, peer health um, support and outreach in terms of HIV education, right. um, but also like ed, like just talking about my life experience with groups of teachers and other people in the community. Um, and at the time, I was like the token bi kid, <laughs> so <laughs> which you know it was the game lesbian center, and you know bi erasure is still a thing, but then it was even worse. And so I was like the token that talked about that. Oh. So, well, so were you also doing some activist work in Stockton, or did it mostly mm-hmm. start in Sacramento? Because I know a lot of people. Oh, it's it, it started in Sacramento. Um, so I grew up in Stockton, went to Sacramento for ten years, and then went back to Stockton for about. <laughs> And um, when I went back to Stockton, I had a kid, single parent, you know, so I was going to school and trying to work. So I I wasn't doing much in the way of activism then, except that it was part of the work that I do. That was when I, I had already been working in group homes and then transitioned into low-income housing at the time and worked in, um, you know, managing low-income housing apartments and through that got involved with, um, you know, the city redevelopment um, as a neighborhood liaison and really fighting for tenants' rights, you know, through the redevelopment. Right. And I mean, I, I didn't understand gentrification at the time the way I do now, but I lived it. And I'm glad that I had that experience because it taught me like both sides of the coin, which actually there's more than two sides, but um, that's kind of been the story of my life. It's like, I've, I've had that all sides of every coin I've ever experienced. <laughs> so. The funniest thing about gentrification, I didn't know about gentrification until I moved up to, to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. I lived in Stockton everywhere else. I mean, I lived in the house. Right. I, I mean, I was living in the house. I was living in the apartment. So to me, it was just like, I was just poor. So, you know, just, well, not even poor, but just, we're just middle class. So until I moved to Sacramento, and everybody was like, don't you know we're gentrifying here? I'm like, what the does that mean? <laughs> it's like, gentr- my mom had to explain to me, it's like, you don't know about gentrification? And she's in Cleveland. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what they mean. They section off areas. And I was like, oh, I didn't know they, you know, I'm looking around going, okay, well, I can see there's a, pro- oh, okay, there's a problem. Yeah. It's like, why is that being changed when Land Park's not being changed? 
good point. It's like, oh, okay, I can see where they where they they do things here. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting now because I work in Sacramento, you know, two days a week, so I'm down there pretty regularly. And for the last you know several years, I've been watching how much downtown and Oak Park have really been shifting because I spend a lot of time in both areas. And, yeah. You know that that's where my mom lived, and that's where I lived for you know a while. So I, I know those areas, and they're, it's it's so hard to go there and expect to see things that are no longer there and see new things. They're like that doesn't belong here. <laughs> oh, I've I've learned that even when I go back to stocks, I go that is different. What is that? What is that? <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> just even the school, even the bus system. I'm like this bus systems change so much (laughs) (laughs) you know even downtown sacramento like i drove down the wrong way the wrong way on on what used to be a one-way street in downtown i didn't know that they had made it a two-way street for a section of that street oh was was it i or i want to say like p or q or somewhere in there like but it was it was down in the like you know the tens the early around the state buildings so yeah, so it's like, it's like turns now, like, oh, snap, this is now what? Right. <laughs> but let's 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 go into speaking about your book. So are these the only Crystallix Whispers and oh, Crystalline Whispers and also Phoenix Landing? What got you started on your two books? Uh, I, I'm assuming you had a lot of poetry you just wanted to get started on. <laughs> Right. I have a stack of like seven or eight journals where I used to handwrite my poetry. Nice. Um, and then in, while I was living in Stockton, I put together two chapbooks. I, I think the first one I put together there in Stockton, the second one I, I started when I moved up here to Nevada County. Um, but the first chapbook chat was Whispers in the Dark. And the second one was Chrysalis. And so um, I took those in 2010 and combined them together, edited a couple, you know, took out a couple pieces, added a couple of newer ones, and um, published uh, Chrysalis Whispers as my first book in 2010. And I did a um, a reading along with several other area artists um, as a benefit for Hospitality House as kind of my book launch <laughs> at the time. And at the time I had been participating in several readings around town. Um, at the Broad Street uh, Cafe in Nevada City, which is no longer there. We used to have pretty regular readings. We had some down at um, Sierra Mountain Coffee Roasters, which is now the open book. Um, okay. That's, in fact, that's where I did my, my book launch. Um, we had readings at the Center for the Arts with the, Sec- or the Sierra Poetry Center, um, and then just kind of one-offs here and there around town. So it seems like you were really, really involved with the, after you moved from Sacramento to to Nevada City, County, it's like you're really involved in the Grass Valley, Nevada City um, poetry community. I was, and I was involved in Stockton too. Um, I used to hang out at the caffeine den in Stockton and there was a group of folks from there that would get together and just kind of do this poetry circle of sitting and, you know, reading and, reading with each other. Um, and I started doing that. And then I was invited to a slam downtown on uh, Weber Street with uh, Brandy. And yeah. I can't remember her husband's name. Uh, Derek. Derek. Derek, yes. Yeah. All right. And um, yeah, so that was my first slam. And I wrote a poem there that I performed that night. And I now open all of my readings with. Um, okay. That was mostly about like 
it was really about the intimidation of sharing myself, the vulnerability of sharing poetry with a group of people because my poetry was so personal um, and you know therapeutic for me. That was really hard for me to share with other people, you know, regardless of how they interpreted it or perceived it. It was really hard to open up like that. So that and I was just really intimidated by the stage presence of a lot of the people at the slam because like who isn't? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a lot of people aren't, but I was, <laughs> and I think still am. Right. to a large degree but um that's where i started doing readings again as an adult after my years in sacramento so as it, so as you move from sacramento to, up to nevada county and stuff how was the change was it a culture shock or was it more of a okay <laughs> i can flow with these guys so going from Stockton to Sacramento and back to Stockton was a cultural shift for me, mm. um, but nothing like the shift of, going, of coming from Stockton to Nevada County. Mm. Um, I think I've been here 15 years now, and I still think I'm in culture shock in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting because when I first moved up here, like I, I was in the middle of a lot of changes in my life. My... Um, Shortly after I moved up here, my partner passed away, and oh. I found myself as a single parent again. Mm-hmm. And um, living here then as a single person who um, was assigned female at birth was very difficult. Um, just trying to like find my, you know, my my sea legs, as it were, and <laughs> navigate the culture of the area. Um, I I had spent a lot of time up here already, so you know, like around the music scene in the rivers. So oh, I I had this idea in the back of my head that oh yeah, hippies great, yeah, that's my crowd. But I worked for the county, and that really separated me from like hanging out with the hippies, kind of sort of. Okay. <laughs> different cultures right Right. um and (laughs) so it it was kind of hard to get into the community at first but i found i found different places to go and poetry was one of them you know and i i I got on facebook that was when facebook was still really new um and that's how i found some of the readings around town um and then started meeting people that way and that was my first venture out you know to social life outside of work here and what got you so, involved with the DJ being a radio DJ? Oh, with KVMR. So at KVMR, um, I joined the program committee in 2008. I moved up here in 2006. Nice. Um, I joined the program committee in 2008 after um, being an angel for a couple of different broadcasters and like sharing time on their shows. Um, you know, for as part of the the whole gig of an angel support level supporter, um, and I really enjoyed it. And one of the broadcasters that I'd shared, you know, their show with, um, invited me to be on the program committee, and I got involved that way. And the more time I spent around the station, the more I um, I fell in love with what the station was doing in the community. Okay. And I was, at the time, I wasn't, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you remember me from 20 years ago, but at the time, I, I kind of went back in my shell after my partner had died and, you know, the, just everything that happened when I first moved here. And I was very quiet, and shy, and just kind of like, mm didn't really put myself out there and but I really needed a a place to express myself and the same broadcaster that invited me to join the program committee kind of 
almost like in a friendly way bullied me into uh, doing the broadcaster training class. <laughs> and I mean, we we were friends. We would go out for dinner after every meeting that we attended together and stuff uh, with the station. But they they uh, they talked me into taking the class, and um, I mean, I was hooked. I, I really enjoyed being on air, but I was really afraid at the same time. Cool. And one of the beautiful things was the, uh, that was happening at the time was that new, most new broadcasters that would end up getting stuck with like the midnight to 4 a.m. shift, um, if we really wanted to do a show outside of like just being able to sub for other people who had established shows. And I somehow ended up getting kind of a once or twice a month um, Saturday midnight to 4 shift. Yeah. And I used that to really kind of process my stuff, you know, like through music, not just through poetry, but I also enjoyed going through the music library and finding poetry and expanding my own repertoire and understanding of the poetic world and mixing that in with music. Um, and then I did that for several years. Um, I didn't, I didn't get a daytime daylight show <laughs> um i until 2015 i think okay. uh, or 2016 i took a 4 to 7 a.m shift um on friday mornings and then later switched that to mondays and then finally somehow landed on saturdays from 10 to midnight again <laughs> so it was almost a full circle thing um but it was fun because i really got to play with like the different energy of the day and and I'm a very eclectic um, music fan. I love pretty much all genres. So um, it was more about like, how do I mix all of these different things that don't seem to fit together? <laughs> um, and I would, I, yeah. No, I was gonna, I was gonna say so, with that with that in mind, stuff. Because um, I was looking over at your your Bandcamp um, collection, you you really are going just going down the list of like, oh, okay, just beyond just reggae. It's like, oh, I got this over here, got this person over here. It's like, okay, so were those yeah. the people that were um, that you're just looking through on Bandcamp, or were those people also on at the library in the um, KVMR? So prior to KPMR, another thing was that my my late partner was tied into a lot of local Northern California musicians, oh, okay. mostly like roots rock and folk okay. um, musicians. So I knew a lot of people that way through the music scene, and I loved their music, and that kind of got me set on that path of like exploring local musicians, um, local meeting Northern California, and. Yeah, that's still kind of the basis of most of what I personally listen to is a lot of roots rock. Um, okay. I, I call it white boy reggae. So <laughs> hey, it's a big thing here. It's a big it's thing. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, but it, it's what it's what, what it's what fits for me emotionally, spiritually. You know, like the, that's where I find my my groove. Um, I also love blues. I love punk, but punk is a little bit more of a mood thing um and a motivator <laughs> i love using it when i'm like doing some hard work um and in my activism i love old school hip-hop i'm not really a fan of a lot of new stuff um <laughs> newer stuff i'm actually not very aware of a lot of newer stuff um but yeah not a huge fan of like top 40 radio pop but i like the pop genre with like the the really like 
experimental stuff. Oh, okay. That you hear it on KVMR, but you would never hear it you know, on, on a regular commercial radio station. So KVMR kind of, kind of worked in your favor because it actually played the, it's, it's, a community, it's a community radio station that plays what, what they feel is more comfortable with, but it kind of fills in your preference. It's not one of those top 40 ones like um, the end and stuff where right. they have to play this certain program in, in this direction. It's like, okay. Okay. And that's one of the things I loved about the station is that, like, if, if you don't like what you hear, just wait two hours, you know, <laughs> turn, turn the station back on. It'll be something different. Except Saturdays. Saturdays are very much an Americana day, but it does run kind of the full range of Americana. Stuff. There's that. <laughs> and they do, have a, they do have a setup now with KVRX and then KVMR, where they have them kind of separate on the, on the online. Right. The, the right. So in 2016, I joined the board. For nice. Congratulations. And um, as I was on the board when we, you know, voted on like going ahead and trying this secondary station. And we ended up landing on like the idea of just having a streaming station that was more t- geared towards youth and the younger crowd with the understanding that KBMR's base supporters are, you know, boomer age or generation. So, you know, like just logistically, if we want the station to last, we need to reach out to younger groups. And, um, we also wanted a platform where people where we could bring other types of music in that you wouldn't normally hear on KVMR that weren't as you know heavily Americana or folk based because that is a large base of, of the music played. Um, and we wanted to be able to bring that into the daylight. So not just have that kind of stuck in that you know eight to midnight time slot. <laughs> um, so there was that. And yeah, it, it's kind of taken on its own thing. Um, I love a lot of what's played on it. So um, I think that that was about the same time that when I, when I got my, my first show, it was about the same time that I started doing poetry specials oh, okay. as well. We used to have a Sunday showcase where, you know, like uh, any broadcaster could sign up for that time slot and do whatever they wanted with it. it, you know, so it wasn't a regular show. And I started doing regular poetry specials, like annually and po- during Poetry Month. And what was your show called? So my show was called Ineffable um, at, at, at first, and then I changed it. Oh, gosh. Mm. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, I think I changed it, and yeah, oh gosh, I can't even think of the name of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll bring it back. We'll bring it back to it. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I just, I, I just doing um was that mixtapes were the concept that I was working with of mixing all these different genres, you know, like you know. Or that we are that generation where yes, we sit we there with the radio and a you know tape player and have to rec- you know, wait for that song and record it. Um, so I changed the name, the name to Mixtape Sessions because nice. it was a lot easier to say and a lot less to explain than Ineffable. <laughs> um, and it really felt better for the energy of the show when I went back to a nighttime slot. Nice. Nice. So, so with all that going on, what what made you go to try some of the since you're doing like um, 12 to 4 and stuff what made you want to um, bring in poetry along with it into your show 
Mm-hmm. I've always loved spoken word. I love when okay. spoken word is put to music, whether we call it rap or whether it's just spoken word that somebody else decided to embellish. Um, <laughs> so I really wanted to bring that in because there's there's just a beauty to that. And to me, in some ways, it's a break from music. I mean, I... I also grew up with a grandmother who was a music teacher. So like I had a violin under my chin at three and then <laughs> cello and bass and piano and choir and all those things as a kid. Um, and so music has been a part of my life as long as I can remember, but sometimes we just need a break from it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know there any other way to put that. Oh, sure. That was nice to, to, to just weave in the spoken word among the music and kind of fill things out. I really loved using it to highlight certain things. Um, my show is very theme-based, so I would, you know, just come up with a theme and play music and spoken word that fit into it. And for a while I had um, a thing that I called the comedy quarter that was very political. Um, and I would mash like parody music and late night comedy and spoken word pieces together into like a, you know, three to five minute um, piece that was definitely very political. Um, okay. okay. And uh, it was fun. It took a lot of energy and I didn't, I didn't do it for long, but it was fun while I did it. Most definitely. And they can find that they can find that if uh, those um, shows archived on KVRX. Uh, KVMR. On, okay. Yeah. KVMR.org slash archive. Mm-hmm. Um, we have podcasted a lot of our spoken word shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of our music shows be, you know, just due to, legal stuff, legal issues can only be um, archived for two weeks. Okay. So that they don't. But I have a copy of almost every show that I've done. Okay. So, yeah. Well, yeah. So I do this is a real. Most definitely. So why don't we change up and get into the main, the big questions I always ask my poet. So one question. So we always have a, we always have a thing where we have the stage and the page poet. Uh, the page poet is basically the first, is basically the poet who does um, writes books, does pre- um, presentations. Technically, is the person who writes blogs, um, anthologies. They're 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 always ink on the page. They're the ones that make the ink on the page and and make spectacular poems. Uh, the stage poet is the one that is the spoken word, the the presentation, the the playwright version of making poetry and stuff. And we call those a stage poet. And there's always been a big uh, connection of a clash with both of them. One feeling the other one's not worth their weaknesses and strengths. But I have a question for you, Dale Phoenix. Do you feel more close to the stage, the page, or both? Probably both. I'm a little bit more geared toward page, I think, just because of the shyness and the stage fright aspect. Mm-hmm. But um, but I've done enough performance that like I, I can't eliminate that. Um, and I hope to do more. Okay. Okay. And now my se- my last question is: So your books itself have your dead name, and. Yes. I would like to would like to know if you want your people if you want people to find your books. What I I still wonder what the H is, but 
I do want to know what I, I ain't going to, I'll find that later, but, <laughs> but do they want, you want them to know how would you want to tell them, tell them how they can find your book. Okay. And stuff. So, so, it, so I am out. I am trans. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my books are published under H Adela Wilcox. The H is for Heidi. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Del was a nickname that I was given when I was 15 by my, my, um, ex-husband when I first right. met him and it just stuck it was I, I was using my middle name at the time and he he didn't call me Adela he just called me Del and everybody else started calling me that and when I transitioned it was like well that's that's what always felt right to me you know <laughs> so it was easy just to, to keep that and not have to come up with a whole new name but yeah they they are published under my dead name H. Adela Wilcox uh the second one I published in 2015 um and that one was pretty much everything that I had written from the time of the first publication to that time um okay. I have enough material for an, like a definitely for a chat book but I have enough material to do another book of these size. And I mean, these are, you know, like 60 pages, you know, they're not huge. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a lot more about quality and I don't feel the need to share as much about myself, you know, as I used to. Um, so I've been more in the process of editing. I've also be, I've also started doing other expressive arts over the last several years. Um, and I use that as part of my, my work. But one of the things I've been doing is combining poetry and paintings and, you know, into collages. And um, I would love to be able to do a poetry and art, like, coffee table book kind of thing do you have do you i was gonna say if you have a poem you would like to read if you have one (laughs) sitting on the precipice of loss and change unsure of what comes next the end game still in sight but blurred by the edges of preconception sometimes hanging on for just one more moment because a day an hour A minute is just too long to comprehend the whirlwind of emotions, anticipation, and just all of it. Other times, more self-assured, assertive, and grounded than ever, even when sitting in the questions themselves. The goo inside this shell of a chrysalis has been solidified, but in breaking out of my shell, what I thought were butterfly wings have taken a new shape, forged by the fires of disillusionment and reclamation. They spread in ways I hadn't dreamed possible. Authenticity spills out of my mouth into actions. Before I recognize what it is through the veils of the vision to which I clung, my truth sits heavy in my core grounding me when I want to take flight, burning old beliefs and other people's dreams to the ground. Change isn't pretty, but I've never been pretty. The truth of me has never been pretty. It is so much more than that. It is magnificent in all of its stages, from ember to ash and smoke. The pretty was the shell of everything that I was expected to be, but could only attain at the expense of who I was inside. And when the prettiness fades, the makeup smears from the tears and the sweat of the work of survival, and I no longer serve your expectations of who you wanted me to be, that, my friend, is when I must take flight. But for now, I beat my wings to let them dry. I sit with the pain. I cry with it. Hold its hand. 
Speak gently to it. Remind it that it is only a part of me, equal and valid as the rest, maybe even more so because it teaches my heart to be humble, my mind to be open, my lips and pen to be disciplined, and my soul to show up unapologetically, authentically, me. So being that, being that you are a, 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 a graded therapist, first-rate therapist, stuff, how does, I always have this question about poetry and um, and mental health. How do those contain to each other? Where I, I have many, I have many, I have several poets that they they will either or even in their songs they will inject their their issues or their situations in their song or poems and stuff. Does 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 that actually? And I've also seen that being used against people, like how the uh, how the law in certain in certain states have used rap to convict um, rappers on their stuff. So, so how does, how does this form of poetry, uh, poetry um, formulate for mental health first? And then how does that also go against with rap being used now as a evidence to go against? Right. So with my poetry personally, I mean, I think I used it as therapy you know, from the start, um, in a lot of ways, it was the way I could articulate what I couldn't understand about myself and my life experience. And it still is to this day. And most of my writing is very much channeled. I, I have a lot of difficulty writing two prompts for that reason. I need to kind of be in that, that space to be able to write. Um, so I go through periods where I write a lot. And then some. I had up to three years where I didn't write anything. So, I get that. Like, yeah, that was, <laughs> was a little bit scary. In fact, the, um, a couple of the pieces in my second book were about that, that period and trying to be able to write and not being able to. Okay. Um, and but I don't think I've ever personally written anything that, I know I've never written anything about another person that could like come back to me <laughs> in a bad way. Um, just because my writing is mostly about my, my internal experience. Um, and I don't think I've ever written anything that has been like hurtful or hateful because that's not who I am. Um, you know, a big part of my story is that I've experienced way too much of that in my life. So, and I just, I have too much compassion and empathy to spread that in any kind of, uh, intentional way. So it doesn't mean that I haven't done damage in my life to others. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's a thing. So, but when it comes to like rap, I mean, that, oh, that's, there's a whole thing there with, with rap being used against artists. Um, you know, rap is a very political statement, um, and expression of, what it's you know what it is to grow up as a marginalized person in this country specifically you know as a black person and i have my opinions about white rappers and things like that too <laughs> but um <laughs> um 
but I feel that it it's very driven by racism, honestly. Oh, okay. That you, the use of a person's artistic um, expression against them is in any way, you know, whether it's in a conversation. And this is something I've been guilty of. You know, I, I used to really denigrate gangster rap because that was like, that was not the kind of political rap that I was really drawn to from like the sure. 80s, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, I feel I feel like it's it's very driven by racism, and you know we don't see that happening to rappers of other races anywhere near as much, even though there aren't as many. Um, yeah. But so, but yeah. the fact of do you when some of your clients come in and do you actually will ask them like read me a poem or read me on your things that you read today would you use that as one of your exercise tools or you just basically just have a conversation um, so i see well i you know I, I i utilize expressive arts therapy in my work right. and i always let a client know when i start working with them that that is one option available to them if they're so inclined okay. um i never force art any uh, any form of art on a right. person um, <laughs> i will suggest it at times and you know especially if they seem interested or they have an artistic background already um it's always it's always surprising when people who aren't really um artistically inclined or have never really tried when they do open up through art you know they they discover you know more about themselves and sometimes discover real talent so that's pretty cool but even when i excuse me even when i give an art therapy assignment i don't always ask them to share it with me because it really is about the internal process um the questions that i ask when they don't share it with me are about the process itself and what came out of it. Hmm. The questions that I ask when they do share it with share it with me are specific to the elements that are in it. So whether it's a painting or a poem, you know, I want to explore, you know, whether or not there is a problem that's been identified in this piece. And if so, how does this problem express itself in, in, and if, in that person's life and affect that person and their ability to live life and then you know like help them um figure out what it is that they want to do about that like what their preferred story or outcome would be and move forward from there and when it comes to working with trauma i, I work exclusively with the queer with the queer community mm -hmm. and um, i specialize in trauma and there's a lot of trauma in our community unfortunately so when when people are exploring their trauma sometimes the best way they can express it is through something artistic rather than in words or if it's in poetry that um or even short stories you know they can it's easier to write a story or a poem about another person or about the imagery that they might see in you know dreams or um you know intrusive thoughts and memories and things like that so you know we, we explore those things that way i'm enjoying that I've, that's actually some good <laughs> choices for people for people to take in consideration with their poetry stories or even songs there, there's a way of looking at the means of the imagery and stuff and trying to use it as therapeutic, but also as a meaningful way to you to bring it out into right. people. Yeah. Okay. Well. Right. Well, I really 
I really feel like every every piece of art, regardless of its form, it has a story behind it. And, you know, my job as an art therapist is to help bring that story out. Okay. There you go. Well, thank you, Dale, for coming on here and showing. I mean, no, you went to lights went out, but we still we still made it. We, we strung through. We strengthened through and stuff. And to everyone else, yes, please, if you can, if, um, get your hand on Dale's two books. If you can go look up Dale Wilcox, but Dale. Is the name you want to look up? Del right. Phoenix Wilcox. Where can they find you at on on social media? Um, they can find me on Facebook under Socialist Tendencies with Soul uh, Socialist spelled S O U L C I A L I S T. Um, and then I also have my website uh, DelrayPhoenix.com. That's D E L R A E Phoenix dot com. And I have a blog there that is mostly poetry and art and a couple of essays. Um, and then a page dedicated to my poetry specifically, where there are links to my books. There so. you go, Delray yeah. Phoenix. There you go, people. Go check it out. Go get your fill of Del and. Enjoy the show. Happy Pride to everybody. Dell, thank you. Thank you very much for being on here. Happy Pride to you. And to everyone else out there, enjoy your Pride Month. Thank you. Peace. Take care. (laughs)